I'm matchmaker Maria, the founder of Agave Match. For over a decade, I've combined four generations of family matchmaking tradition with modern relationship psychology, behavioral science, and dating trends. With this unique expertise, I answer your dating and relationship questions and interview experts to give you the tools to find or keep the love of your life. This is Ask a Matchmaker. Welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. I'm Matchmaker Maria, and I really appreciate you listening every week. This week's guest is Melanie Cook, and she's a therapist who owns a private practice based in New York City. She works with high achievers who are outwardly successful, but struggle with feelings of dissatisfaction, emptiness, and confusion, who feel that something's missing and who want to feel whole, but don't know how to. That's what she helps with. Melanie, welcome to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Ah, thank you so much. I'm really, really excited to talk to you more today. I'm so happy too. And I'm happy because I've specifically, I know you've got like a plethora of knowledge in different topics, but I've specifically called on to you because I want to talk to you about attachment theory. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that's like the buzzword, right? Not the buzzword, but like, that's like a real thing that I feel like we, once we understand what attachment is, we are able to acknowledge like certain things happening to us. So for those of us who may not be in the know or who might need a refresher, what is attachment theory? Yeah. So the basics. the, the bare bones of it uh, is that attachment theory is really about um, this rubric um, in terms of how you relate to people. And so mod- traditional attachment theory starts with, you know, your first relationships ever when it comes to caregivers, parents, those primary relationships. But that has since been expanded to romantic relationships and what those first relationships are like, how they kind of set the tone for the way that we relate. And the two main components of this are closeness and space. And so closeness has to do with intimacy and vulnerability and uh, trust in some ways, and then communication, that sort of thing. And then space, on the other hand, has to do with um, our own sense of self, that being preserved in a relationship, having boundaries being able to be okay and trusting that your you know partner or someone else isn't always going to be there that balance of space and trust and closeness uh is kind of what is looked at when it comes to attachment theory and then depending on how comfortable you are with those two things it lands you into a couple of different categories that i imagine we'll go into more well let's talk about those categories before yeah. we talk about where this stems from yeah um so let's go categories. Okay. So um, the first one is secure attachment. And so that is someone who has been taught that you are able to communicate your needs, um, that you are able to engage with your own emo- uh, emotions and you can share them with people and, and that's going to be reciprocated. And so securely attached people are cooperative. They're flexible. When they deal with conflict, they don't you know, immediately question the entire relationship and the fate of a relationship based on conflict. Um, also, I think what is key to securely attached people is that they have a uh, kind of perspective that for the most part, people are good and honest. And unless, you know, their the experience is otherwise, that's how they move forward in life. Okay. So that's, that's secure attachment. Uh, and then we juxtapose that with insecure attachment. And there are kind of two main types, anxiously attached people. Uh, they are people that have been 
taught that it's, you know, not always safe to uh, state what their needs are, or they're never, you know, sure if it's going to be reciprocated or not. And so because of that, um, a lot of times anxiously attached people are consumed by their relationships. They have this urgency for closeness and feel really threatened by space um, because it starts to bring up fears around rejection and abandonment and unlovability, that sort of thing. And so a lot of times when, when feeling that threat, anxiously attached people um, have things called protest behaviors where they'll act out or lash out. And, and we can talk about that more in a little bit. Um, but the, the kind of third one that I want to talk about, the other insecurely attached is avoidantly attached. And so avoidantly attached people are hyper-independent and self-reliant. They do not place a lot of importance on relationships. Um, and that largely has to do with, they've been taught to stop stating their needs from the get-go because it's not something that's ever been reciprocated or, or met. They are uh, really, really kind of champions of autonomy and freedom. And so a lot of times they can feel suffocated in relationships and they feel really threatened when their autonomy um, might be compromised um, because of being in a relationship emotionally distant, um, don't always know what they want and have trouble with feeling like someone depends on them. Bare bones of, of kind of the, the three attachments. That so yeah, that um, it's funny because like I work with attachment like every single day at work and it's like, oh, it's so nice to hear someone else describe it and not me like <laughs> trying to color in the lines for mm. other people. Yeah. But yeah. I think, I think what I really want to highlight at this juncture is like how our primary guardian or excuse me, how our primary guardians mm -hmm. heavily influence the attachment style, the quadrant that we live in as mm -hmm. it relates to like attachment. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it starts young. So, um, the way that I talk about this a lot with clients and, and I'll do it here, um, is basically looking at, you know, you as a, a baby, a toddler kind of early on in this world have a lot of needs, um, but don't have the resources to meet them yourself. And so you rely on this caregiver or guardian, like you said, and when that guardian is able to meet all those needs, not just shelter and love and kind of security, but also is, you know, helping you learn about yourself and navigating the world, uh, you develop um, a sense of kind of worth in yourself, right? You're reminded um, of kind of who you are as a person. You help build that sense of self-worth. Uh, at some point, that guardian says, you're so great. Uh, I want the world to see you. I want you to see what the world has to offer. Go out there. And when you need me, come, come right back here and I'll help you. And so little toddler, you goes off, scrapes their knee, comes back, gets soothed and caregiver says, go right back out there. And so it starts this uh, cycle of both feeling the sense of belonging and kinship and having a social support while at the same time being able to go out in the world and develop that sense of independence and autonomy and agency. That's what secure attachment looks like. And then, you know, over time, that's just reinforced into the profile I gave of a securely attached adult. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and then do you find that like, I find that some people, so let's talk about avoidance, right? Cause mm -hmm. I think that's like, that's like the big one. And the, and mm -hmm. what I mean by that is I find that we are right now 
experiencing a massive dating and mating gap. And what I mean by that is that we have a scenario where there's more reporting of situationships than ever before, more confusion than ever before, uh, less emotional resilience than ever before. And as a result, there is a dating has become a bit lopsided Mm-hmm. Uh, and mating as a result has become lopsided. Mm. And I don't mean mating in like the clinical way. It's just like, oh yeah, people getting in relationships, maybe for marriage, but certainly having children. And there's yeah. many reasons why people might not decide to have kids, right? It's, it's, you know, maybe you don't want to bring new kids into this planet the way it is. Maybe you can't afford to have children or more children, but mm. there's still this gap of like what we're experiencing right now, especially with the new generation coming up. So in talking about this, the one thing that constantly comes up is avoidant people. And I'm wondering if you could speak to this, but I find that sometimes avoidant people, they don't know that they're avoidant. And if they do, they have to decide to change. No one can force them. Yeah. You can't force someone to change. Right. So they have to decide, I want to make something different. So how do you view this? Do you, first of all, do you agree with what I'm saying? Do you see that there is a dating and mating gap? Do you see that avoidant people are harder to show that they might be avoidant? Like what, how, what do you mm. see on your end? Um, yes to all of it. I think that <laughs> you know, there are definitely, um, I think more, uh, avoidant attachment is coming out more. I think it has a lot to do with, um, individualism in our society, because again, avoidantly attached people have this sense of hyper independence, um, that has come from not having experiences where they can rely on people, but a lot of times it is seen as a mask of this self-reliance. Um, and I think that, you know, we live in a world that can really kind of champion that I think current dating in terms of accessibility, yes, when it comes to dating apps, but also there's a sense of dismissiveness of there's other fish in the sea. Exactly. Exactly. And so not kind of of committing. Yeah. A thousand percent, you know, I can, you know, I can be a little bit withholding because there are other people that I can see on this app or that sort of thing. I think ghosting is like a really good example of some avoided attachment stuff that has been coming up in, um, kind of dating. So I think it's definitely, definitely all there. And, and if anything, like you said, I think that it's, uh, increasing. I find that I hear from clients who tell me that their anxiety goes through the roof when the person they're dating um, takes too long to respond or mm. feels like the, I hear this word, I feel like they're pulling away. And then I wrap myself into this frenzy. And mm. I, I, how would you, how would, what would you say to that? By the way, it could be valid. There could be people pulling away, you know, yes. it's not an invalid feeling. No, exactly. Exactly. And that's the trouble of it, right? It's not just kind of this um, one-all answer that you could say. What I usually tell people and talk to clients about is where are they feeling that sense of anxiety? Is it more up above kind of in their chest, what I'm, I'm pointing to now in terms of having like an activated stress response? Um, And in that way, a lot of times that is associated with more anxious attachment, right? And and maybe that's kind of coming out into play of 
the space that I'm, I'm feeling threatened by and, and them, you know, not responding, um, is, is that because I'm having difficulty with this space? Um, or is it, you know, are you feeling that sense of anxiety kind of deep in the pit of your stomach? A lot of times where, you know, intuition lies and, and, uh, like you said, it could be the reality that this person is pulling away. Um, and then at that point, if it's something that is really kind of felt more deeply um, in that pit of stomach, that intuition, because I do think that we, you know, uh, one of our strengths as, as being human is having intuition. If that's where it's coming from, then that's when you pivot and decide, you know, do I want to do I want to pivot and to put my attention into, you know, someone or something else and see what happens here? Do I want to communicate, right? Like, but depending, you know, how, where you are with this person, do I want to communicate that? Um, I think the first thing though, is looking at where that feeling is coming from, because I think it tells you a lot about if you're activated versus if you're, you know, engaged with a kind of niggling feeling that something's off. What do you mean by activated and engaged? So, so activated, um, again, is a characteristic of anxious attachment. And that is, um, in terms of having your, uh, sympathetic nervous system, right. That stress response being, uh, being activated quite literally. And so that's the same, you know, fight or flight response, uh, that a lot of times is correlated with anxious attachment, uh, and so if that part is activated, right, again, the sense of urgency to be close to this person, if that feeling is activated right now uh, versus engaged, which is a characteristic of secure attachment, is both in touch with your feelings, right, that engagement, but also having an underlying sense of, you know, empathy for the other person. I mean, baseline here, but before kind of being all consuming and catastrophizing what this might be, um, you know, asking, oh, this person is, feels like they're pulling away or is a little cold and distant. I want to see what's going on here and engage with this feeling without completely catastrophizing and thinking about all the things that I could have done, um, to, you know, deserve this treatment, quote unquote. Do you feel like, um, if someone is avoidant, they could change with therapy. Yeah. I, um, thank you for asking that again. Cause I realized you had asked it before and I had, um, kind of gone over okay. it. I, I do think so. I do think so. I think, um, to your question before, um, yes, this takes a lot of insight and awareness on the person who is avoidantly attached. Um, because you're right. You can't, you can't be convinced otherwise. I think because a lot of avoidant attachment is sourced in those primary experiences of not having your needs met, being able to kind of go into the past and, and look at some of that trauma and heal from it is a way that I think that people are able to learn, you know, how to communicate your needs and what it means to feel intimacy and um, what it, you know, what it means to be able to depend on people and have them depend on you. I, you know, most realistically, I'll say, is that I think um, avoidantly attached people can definitely learn to be more secure. That avoidant attachment will always be a trigger, I think, but it won't be the default always. 
Um, and so that will, you know, be on the person as they're going through therapy or, or whatever kind of healing network they are to be able to kind of clock that avoidance when it comes up, but it's not driving their life. Can you sense. give me a few examples of like what avoidant behavior is so that if someone who is listening is like, oh, I'm not avoidant, I'm secure. Like what maybe like, let's see if they'll self-diagnose themselves by accident while listening to this episode. And then, yeah. you know, tell me like what we can do to help them make healthier dating decisions. Yeah. So, um, the example that I like to use is let's say you go on one, maybe two dates with someone. And then you're, you know, after the dates, you are back on the apps and you see their profile again, right? After having gone on a date with them, uh, a securely attached person is human, might feel a little pang of, you know, unsettledness or some emotion, but would say, Hey, I'm on the app too. Um, we're still getting to know each other. It's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't need to mean much beyond that. An anxiously attached person would, you know, maybe take that very, very personally um, and rather kind of having that empathy for the other person of we're all just trying to, you know, get to know people catastrophize and think, what does that mean that this person, you know, is on the app that what did they think about me and kind of go down that route An avoidantly attached person would feel relief. Um, because again, avoidantly attached people feel very self-reliant they don't place a lot of importance uh, on relationships and a lot of times feel suffocated by intimacy. And so in that example, an avoidantly attached person would say, oh, great, they're not looking for a lot from me. That actually makes me feel relieved. If they're on, they're looking for other people, they're not going to expect much from me. Um, and so, you know, if anyone identifies with, with that feeling, who's listening, maybe, you know, it's something to, to think about in, in terms of avoidance. Um, a feeling of, I miss this person when they're not with me, but then when, when they are, I definitely feel like I want to withdraw and want to push them away. That's another sign of avoidant attachment um, that, you know, might resonate with someone listening. How, if someone is anxious and if they dated someone secure, does the anxiety subside? Yeah. So that is one way that, that you can work on your attachment, your insecure attachment. Um, definitely it is relational by nature. And so it's definitely um, kind of triggered or buffered by the other person that, that you're with, right? So if you're dating someone, if you're anxiously attached and you're dating someone who's secure, um, that is going to reduce the anxiety. It doesn't eliminate your anxious attachment, but again, that's where it comes more of that trigger point that flares up that you can clock rather than the, the type of attachment that drives you because you're going to uh, learn what it's like for someone to reciprocate and meet your needs and be able to communicate with you and give you a safe space um, to be able to communicate what you're feeling that you don't feel threatened when they have their own sense of space because they're able to reassure you um, that there's also a sense of closeness there. So now, like, I want to talk a little bit more about your private practice. So like, mm -hmm. you know, you're dealing with, as you said, high achievers who appear successful on the outside, but maybe feeling mm -hmm. dissatisfied on the inside. Mm -hmm. What are some patterns or styles, um, that you've observed among your clients? Like what do they have in common that contribute to them feeling like they're struggling? 
I think some things that they have in common uh, is that they are quite introspective and aware, right? Uh, And they are, you know, asking the questions about themselves and trying to figure out what might not be working, especially when we're talking in a sense of dating and relationships, um, that they are, you know, voracious readers and consumers of podcasts like this or of different books of, you know, figuring out about attachment styles or, uh, you know, rules uh, to to kind of try on and and see how it works for them when it comes to dating. So I, I think definitely I see a lot of people who feel you know, resigned and are actively trying to do the the work on themselves and in the relationships, but feeling stuck, um, I think is kind of the main category that I see. Do you, how about like, let's call it their inner child. Like, do you find like, there's a pattern of like, maybe their upbringing or like those early years, is there yeah. any similarities that you see in people or do you think it's maybe just their temper just their personality of like what it is you know it's how much of it is nature versus how much of it is nurture I guess is what I'm trying to get at yeah yeah I uh it's one of those like frustrating non-answers where it does feel like a combination of the two in that uh, I do think that there are patterns around early caregiver experiences right that guardian like you spoke to um around whether or not those needs were consistently met um, or if they learned very early on for a variety of reasons, be it um, the own guardian's mental health issues or uh, lack of resources, maybe their own avoidant attachment, never being able to have their needs met, learning very early on, it is up to me. I can only, you know, depend on myself. I think that um, in some ways that is seen as, you know, a strength in our society, kind of the build yourself up by your bootstraps and, and being able to kind of rise and have a sense of success. So I I see that in high achievers. Um, But I I think the two kind of main uh, themes are, are looking at that sense of rejection early on. Um, And a lot of times clients don't really realize that they've been that their needs have been rejected and and some of that early stuff formed, right? I think that there's a sense of, you know, I grew up with a pretty, you know, quote unquote, normal family. Things were fine. Things were good. Um, There isn't, you know, necessarily this uh, obvious reason um, that there was some sort of rupture when it came to attachment. Um, And and so it's kind of going into the weeds of it that, that you see some of these things pop up. Are there any techniques that you would give to someone to not only evaluate their attachment, but repair uh, what what could be repaired for healthier relationships? Yeah, well, I think one of the first things is identifying. Um, I think there is a scale, it's called the experience of close relationship scale. Um, I can send you the link, maybe you can um, kind of put it in the, the notes, but that helps. It's a questionnaire that will help give you an understanding of where you fall in attachment style. And so definitely that's the first place to start. Uh, and then from there, in terms of techniques, I think uh, largely it is being able to understand what the characteristics are of your attachment style and 
learn, it's called responsibility to words, which is basically that pause between when something happens and, and how you react. And so kind of building that sense of responsibility when it comes to the feeling that you're having when the person doesn't text back right away or um, that sense of pulling back, you know, uh, whatever the circumstance might be uh, to be able to pause, check in, see if what you're feeling is aligning with any of those characteristics. Um, and then from there kind of pivoting on in what direction that you want to take. Obviously, I think that um, therapy and coaching can be really helpful um, in looking at, you know, not just what is happening in the present and moving forward, but how this all came to be. Um, there's a lot of, you know, reparative work that comes in, in therapy in that regard. Uh, and then the final thing I'll say with that is really incorporating your body and not just your mind, because I, I think our body does tell us a lot about what we're feeling and, and when we're, we're feeling that sense of activation, like the example that I gave before. So a technique would be, you know, be it mindfulness or, or be it just kind of a, a check-in and where am I feeling this feeling gives some sense as to, is this attachment stuff that's coming up? Is this something kind of deeper that, that maybe this is an incompatibility between you and this person, that sort of thing. I feel like attachment, like in general, it, it's not just about relationships, right? I mean, it's not no. just about romantic relationships. I feel yeah. like, you know, you can see attachment in our coworkers in our friendship circle, like it, you know, everyone has a particular way of behaving around certain people. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned one of those scales, I think also the scale shows you in different relationships too. Like, you know, you might have a global index of avoidance, but you with your best friend, you might have a very secure relationship where there is no avoidance. Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely. I even, you know, tell people to, you know, for, for that scale, for example, have a circumstance in mind. Are you, are you going to answer these questions globally? Are you going to answer them thinking about your friends? Are you going to answer them thinking about one person that you're dating or in a relationship with your family, whatever it might be, because you're exactly right that it can change. Um, and also over time it can change because attachment styles are stable, but they are plastic. Um, so you mm -hmm. can also kind of see that progression as well. Definitely molding it in a certain direction. Yeah. Um, I guess like, you know, right now the surgeon general is talking a lot about like loneliness and how yeah. we need to combat loneliness. And I guess, you know, to wrap up this interview, I just wondering your thoughts on where is the intersection between attachment theory and loneliness? And I know this is a really long question, but like, it probably has a long answer. I mean, um, the intersection between loneliness and attachment theory, but also increasing our emotional resilience to be better emotionally equipped in romantic relationships. I think that intersection of loneliness and attachment theory comes in that um, what attachment theory is about, right? Which is that balance of closeness, intimacy, belonging, kinship, and space. Uh, and so I think that uh, loneliness a lot of times lands into that area of, of space um, and that yearning for more closeness. And so I, I think that being able to understand your attachment style better and understand what your balance currently and ideally is between that, that sense of closeness and space with someone else, be it romantic, be it friend, um, will, you know, help you 
understand and and like navigate this world where loneliness is an increasing problem problem right that might mean you know getting into more leaning into space that is uncomfortable and that means maybe learning what it's like to spend time alone and know the difference between being alone and being with yourself and and loneliness right or that also lends itself to you know having an attachment style that is secure is going to help me feel closer to people and have these more fulfilling relationships. Like you said, that is really going to help kind of decrease loneliness. So I I think it's, it's that space closeness combo that is key there. Yeah. Melanie, this was really informative and I definitely need to have you back on for a hotline episode, hopefully soon, because I I think this is going to like raise more questions than answers for some people. As it Um, usually does. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'll do is I'll plan it out and I'll announce ahead of time so that people can, um, people can register for that. So I'll have that link in the show notes where people can register to join us on a live hotline where you can answer additional questions for people, um, that are in, that are on the live. Great. Yeah. That sounds wonderful. Um, I'll also include in the show notes, uh, links to your website and to follow you and all that stuff, but where can people follow you? Tell us a little bit more about how you work with clients. Do you only work with clients in New York or do you do international international? So uh, I work as a therapist uh, with clients in New York. I do some coaching for clients who are outside of New York. Um, I would say that the best way to find me is uh, is my website. I actually don't have any other social media um, because I, I know I'd be consumed by it. I know, I know it's a hot take, um, but I, I keep that for, it's a kind of personal boundary for me. So my website is the place. Thank you. Uh, place that you can find me if you are interested in working with me in a more one-on-one fashion. Or also I have a newsletter that it started actually as a check-in for current clients um, in between our sessions, but has expanded. So anyone can kind of join and, and uh, you know, have some, some food for thought of, of different kinds of topics, including attachment styles, obviously. Amazing. Well, Melanie, thank you again for joining me on the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks again for listening to the Ask a Matchmaker podcast. Like I said, I'm going to include a link to Melanie's website in the show notes. I'll also include a link to an upcoming live hotline with Melanie where she can answer any questions you might have about attachment. And we'll include this in an upcoming episode. I also have posted dates for June and July's Agape Intensive. There will be a link in the show notes for that too, in case you want to join us. Be lovable, but more importantly, be likable. See you next week.